science and technology might have the know-how, but if you don't have the know-why, you will build something for nothing and it will achieve nothing for anybody. And that is also true. If you can just build something because you can, the likelihood of harm is going to be greater. So the why is really important. Welcome to Between the Binary, a limited series podcast highlighting the priorities, prospects and challenges of technology in the Global South through the voices of experts in and from the Global South. This podcast is curated for the John H. MacArthur Research Fellowship Program in cooperation with the Asia-Pacific Foundation of Canada. I'm Elena Noor, one of the two inaugural MacArthur Fellows and your host for this series. This episode, I'm joined by Sarah Stratton, who is founder of Maori Lab in Aotearoa, New Zealand, through which she builds bridges of trust and respect for similarities and differences informed by the spirit of Aotearoa, New Zealand's Treaty of Waitangi. Sarah is a member of the World Economic Forum's Global Future Council, AI Fairness Council, and was Te Tiriti o Waitangi Advisor at Tech Futures Lab. I hope I pronounced that right. Sarah will tell me if I did not. (laughs) Um, Sarah's unique perspective of viewing digital tech through a Maori lens is born of firsthand encounters of racism and the effects of colonial imposition on everyday life and decision-making from institutionalized laws to algorithmic bias and technology. Sarah, I'm delighted you're here and I can't wait to dig into conversation with you. Thank you. Thank you, Elena, so much. One of the purposes of this podcast is to highlight different worldviews and knowledge systems beyond the status quo, and some would say limiting frameworks within which we operate. Is there a unique Maori viewpoint of technology we should know about, Sarah? And why should it matter? Elena, could I just quickly start saying this? I'm going to speak in my own language in a way that we would introduce ourselves. Please do. Um, so I'll just start because there's a purpose to it as well. So, he mahinui ki a koe ki ki Alina mō tō pōhiri mō tō manaki ki au i tēnei ata. He mahi tuatahi ki te atua nā nā i te timatanga me te whakamutanga o te ao ki te kaupapa, he kaupapa nui. Ai, ko waikwe, ko motutau rawa ko ranguinu te maunga, ko puheke te mō Taumarere, te awa, uh, ko Ngāti Kahu rawa, ko Ngāti Hini ngā iwi, ko Motutau rawa, ko Karaponia ngā marae, uh, ko Sarah Tokoingua. I have just quickly, so super, super quickly and nervously gotten a little bit of it wrong, but what I've just done there is I've, I've placed me in amongst people, place and purpose, and that is the starting point, I suppose, for Māori. So when you ask that first question, our worldview doesn't change even when technology, times and things like this change. Our, our worldview is that we're all connected. And I've just, in my language, told you that I'm connected to a certain geography. The mountain and the river is as important to us as our grandparents and our parents. They are family, if you like. I have also told you my 
genealogical ties. And what I didn't say is I also have children and grandchildren. So I've told you that I belong to a past and I am me in the present and have a future. Why that's important. And I acknowledge you for your bringing me into this incredibly big conversation of AI technology and all the different perspectives that's needed in this space. So this is how we address everything, that we are all connected. We have just now made this connection through purpose. So clearly we are not related to one another or connected in that way, but we have now become connected in purpose. And it's not a using situation that we look at it as we see everything in relational terms. So this is a relationship, give and take is expected. So if if we're connected and if relationship building is the thing that's going to drive how we do everything, obviously we're going to instill technology with those same values that the end goal at every stage is the building, the maintenance and the flourishing of those relationships of the collective well-being, people and planet. That is the point that how we see the world. Um, And also I connected into the spiritual world, which I know people have all sorts of thoughts and feelings about that. We do not. It's just an unseen part of the world that we identify with. We bring it all in and we build whatever we need to build with that in mind, whether that was a road or a school or an AI tool that's going to collect data, store data, use the data. Uh, if it's not going to carry out the collective well-being now and for the future, not just in the output, but in the making of it, how much energy is it consuming it? How is it consuming? Whose data have we used? If, if along the line it doesn't stand up to collective well-being now and for the future, we have to find other ways of doing things. That's our worldview. That's what we would do if we were in the position of creating technology. I hope that answered the question. <laughs> Please stop me too if I, I could talk forever about these sorts of things. I, I wouldn't want to. You know, Sarah, we've never met and this is our actual first encounter online. Yes. But I love how you describe how everything and everyone is relational through time and space. And mm. it was so moving. I almost was brought to tears. Um, and it's weird because, as I said, we've never met but I still feel this connection and how you talked about being connected and being related through purpose uh, just speaks Mm. so much of your worldview. So thank you for setting that in context. Can I just say one of our elders back in the nineties about an entirely different topic. It was actually about, um, we were going from an old resource management act. So how we were to manage rivers, waterways, anything to do with our environment. Um, And we were bringing a a Maori worldview into that space too. Um, And he said, science and technology might have the know-how, but if you don't have the know-why, you will build something for nothing and it will achieve nothing for anybody and that is also true if you can just build something because you can the likelihood of harm is going to be greater so the why is really important right and perhaps what we're missing from this whole debate on technology 
within the frameworks of the present is also the know who because we haven't bothered to Ooh. right mm. to know who um, everyone else around us is and why they matter to us yes ever since law school um 20 plus years ago that's when i realized that the who as well as the why but the who is everything because the who determines the why right Yes. So you are right. The who is maximally important, if that's a word. And that's a great segue into what I was going to ask you next, which is you've written and argued in many ways that the status quo, the world that we live in now, is an extension of colonial structures of the past, and that there are laws that are very biased against certain segments of population in the real world. And that even when we tout these looser constructs like ethics and principles and artificial intelligence in the tech, in the virtual domain, which implies some sort of positive moral connotation, these ethics and principles are actually based on very particular value systems that are not necessarily shared by all of society throughout the world. Uh, can you talk more about this and why we should be scrutinizing rhetoric like AI ethics more carefully? Oh, thank you for that. Yes, as I, as I said about the law degree, so that's 20-something years ago. I got my law degree and then knew I was never going to practice because I felt that once you picked up that instrument and started getting paid by it, you owed it to follow its tune. And I knew, too, that the laws that were being created were only ever built historically from one demographic. And in Britain, they were landed or landowners, um, males. Everybody else was excluded from that club, if you like. And so it's not that they are inherently more biased than anybody else. So it's as if when I've spoken to a few friends who do spend their lives in wheelchairs, if they were the people that got to make the rules for how a society ought to be created, it's not that they would on purpose make me run up and down ramps or hit my head on cupboards because I'm too high because I stand on my two legs. You know, it's just that, you know, or if you took oranges, if oranges got to make laws for how best to make oranges survive, they're only going to want, you know, winter's going to be an important time. That's going to exclude every sort of fruit that flourishes in the summertime. You know, these are really basic examples of what happens when one demographic has control. And so I saw back then at law school, gosh, Maori really need to be in the law but I don't want to be in it. I want to agitate on the outside of it. Um, and in the end, I ran away from that. It was all too hard when I was a young person. <laughs> I'm grateful for all the other Maori that have agitated within and without the law to change. But then I come to um, my master's where I'm doing AI, um, Maori lens on digital technology and start focusing in on algorithmic bias. And I feel like, oh, hang on a minute. This feels all very familiar. And I realize, oh, heck, it's what's happening in the analog world, um, but on steroids because now it's exponentially harmful with facial recognition or exclusion from work because AI isn't picking up your data points because a majority of male has uh, written what's important in terms of job description, for example. And then it made me go a bit deeper and realize that the same demographic, say, in the tech industry is the same 
same demographic as a similar demographic to historical colonial lawmakers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought, well, there we go. Change the who and change the players and you'll change the game. And so that's what made me, you know, I, I realized too, there's a big movement for inclusion of diversity. I hope one day we never use that phrase because right. it would just be an ex- it would just be accepted that we are all different. We have all got our unique and special attributes to bring to every situation. And never has that needed to be so more than now, now that we've got a digital technology, that digital technology that can be amazing on the one hand. And obviously, if it's amazing on the one hand, it can be very destructive and dangerous on the other. Mm. And so when I've been in groups now that talk about ethics, there is assumption that ethics mean the same thing to everybody, but they don't. Because fundamentally, if I believe in collective responsibility and careful caretaking, say, of a resource, but somebody else believes in an individual right to own it, manage it, do with it what it wants, my ethics are going to be different. So it's not about the binary, my way, your way, right, wrong. I think that digital technology offers us something that we've never had before, and that's the potential to create, build multiple layers of points of view to put over a situation. And it's not that one person's right and someone's wrong. It's that perhaps together we're going to get a much clearer perspective on need or problem or benefit because it's going to have included from the very outset multiple lenses. And so I wrote a a piece about what a Māori lens of an AI life cycle might look like compared to what I've seen touted. And it's not that it's different for us as Māori. It's how we would see any building. And that is you include many, many, many perspectives that are involved personally, that are involved in the ecosystem and that are involved in a wider group to provide a different kind of lens and from the first that someone's got an idea from that very moment to building it finding the funding all the way through to analyzing disseminating deploying managing it afterward what would it look like and it's simple to me it's an inclusive process that doesn't it's transparent as well because if you have if you're including many you have to let go of the need to be opaque or hidden for um for monetary gain i know that i'm going you know people are going to hear this in court and say it'll never work because it's the antithesis to corporate to consumer to capitalism but it's Again, that binary thinking isn't useful. You know, you've got to think, what's the purpose? And the purpose surely, firstly, has to be that we as humans want to survive. Mm -hmm. Um, And surviving, we want to thrive. Well, the truth is uh, we need one another. So when people talk about ethics and fairness and, you know, really we each of us need to be in charge of our education of what that actually really, really means. And when I say education, I mean self-reflection, going and getting an education about yourself. Where do you stand? Who are you? Like So many people come to us as Māori saying, oh, we want to help you. We want to help you. Mm-hmm. But the truth is we are actually doing very well at helping ourselves. But what we really need is for non-Māori to understand 
themselves because we've been defined and categorized to death because that's the way Western science does things and human sciences as well. So we know ourselves in two ways. We know ourselves as non-Māori seers through their categorizations. Mm -hmm. And of course, we know ourselves as we actually are. And so we're lucky we've got two lenses to place over ourselves so that we can know ourselves more fully. But what we want to do is to put our lens over corporations, over a Western organization or corporation or government and say, look, this is how we see you. And that's not a good or a bad thing. This is simply how we see you. How can we, all of us, join those forces and, and have real power? That's shared power. But that's where I feel uh, Māori lens and other peoples, we're not the only people, um, can maybe help create. And also that's a trust-building mm-hmm. thing as well, which technology is sorely lacking in trust. People are very untrusting at the moment in many, many things, and for good reason. But this process of being included instills in somebody the feeling of a sense of responsibility, makes them feel useful and builds trust. And that's sustainable, I think. Right. And I mean, as you rightly pointed out, there are many other societies, communities that share very similar worldviews that are not Mm. about exploiting or extracting um, the most out of the other. But uh, mm. somehow these worldviews are not adequately represented in the world. Um, mm. so I was wondering if there are any networked or coordinating efforts by the Maori population with other societies that share the same worldviews in other parts of the world. Uh, I'm thinking of Africa with their Ubuntu philosophy, how everything is relational, so very similar to what you described through the Maori lens, or even Mm. populations throughout and across the Pacific Islands, for example, to Mm. highlight and maybe even mainstream some of these philosophies and perspectives of technology that we're missing in the discourse. Yes, well, there are, and and they've actually been there long before. As I said, I was in law, law school. We were having connections made by other Indigenous people who too had been colonised, wondering how we had gotten to where we were, which, you know, in some eyes is quite a good position. And so we've been networking for a long, long time. There is right now an AI Indigenous group that covers some of Canada, some of America, United States, um, South America, Hawaii. Australia, there is a Pacific group that Mm -hmm. is all the Pacific Islands and digital technology. And again, within Maori, there is Maori because we are all got different tribal affiliations. The thing is, which is all really good, but what happens is that if you're in your community, you are probably asked to do about 50 different things and Mm -hmm. you might be paid for two of them because your work is vocational or else you're working in a corporation and you get tied up there. So we've got these connections, but maintaining them regularly, it it gets difficult because everyone is kind of, Mm -hmm. we're trying to upskill perhaps culturally 
you know, on that level, we're trying to digitally inform our communities about the benefits, but the harms and the employment opportunities on that end. Plus just, you know, have uh, families and, you know, maybe have some fun every now and then. Right. <laughs> you know, so then to maintain networks outside of, you know, so like the World Economic Forum, I was annoyed and put to the organiser who is amazing herself that all that work and contribution, we do it because we get an opportunity to have a voice, but none of it's paid. Now, I think to myself, the World Economic Forum, my gosh, right. the money they get for membership. And they want to create equity, except for they treat you all like you're a mainstream player. Mm. When they just have no idea the level of work that you do, for me, say, as a Maori, I do that work because I think here's an opportunity, like you said, to mainstream these ideas. They have given me a lot of freedom. Um, I have to say that I really congratulate, but that's the council itself. They're not the people that set the rules for how you get membership in. But so, sorry, to answer your question, there are some networkings. It's difficult to maintain those networks and it leads to how could maybe allies help? Mm -hmm. um, well, allies could pay for knowledge that they've never had before and ways that they've never had before as they pay for other experts in their knowledge systems mm -hmm. um, they get paid a lot of money but they do not pay our I feel like our world views are still sort of I don't know if they're trivialized tokenized or I don't know I don't know why they're not valued as just such important information that's needed right now yeah and I think it goes back to your earlier point about some of these uh, systemic weaknesses and perhaps it, it goes to the lack of realization that there isn't a level playing field, that you can't treat everybody the same, right? And maybe that's the assumption, yeah. there is a level playing field. Yeah. Uh, like I said too, so this is a time of trial and testing for everybody. You know, nobody has the answer this time for these issues of digital technology, especially AI, machine learning and presenting. Mm. So I would have thought that in this time, you know, that understanding would be clear. So therefore, everybody could be just brought in for the expert knowledge that they've got. I don't know why that's not clear. But anyway, as you said, it's systemic. Right. So in the World Economic Forum, oh, this is sort of a bit complicated, but, you know, if it's the who, well, then who comes with the same thinking and processes? And so the council were in now inclusion and diversity you know, really, that should be the place where you could really, really, really test the boundaries. If that's your purpose is inclusion and diversity, then you should be able to really stretch the boundaries of what does that mean. Mm -hmm. And as a group, we were sort of brought in and some outcomes had already been decided upon, some directives on how that would all going to run, all this sort of thing. And that is not inclusion of diversity. That is mainstream telling you how it's going to go for you, the diverse ones. <laughs> and so I raised that issue and uh -huh. said, um, uh, that's not going to work. You're going to get the same outcomes that you always have because you're going to do it the same way and it's going to be done by the same people, mm -hmm. you know. And I always quote Einstein, you know, same, same as madness, okay. expecting a different result. 
So they really let me have a go. And the, I, I, again, I credit them. So they really let me have a go at to running a couple of things which they'd never done before in a different way. It's simply even just to share who are their people and where have they come from. And such startling revelations were made to them. Um, it always moves people. It's so simple, you know, getting to actually know somebody, not, hey, we've got two seconds, so tell us your job description and a fun fact. I mean, that is not relationship building, you know what I mean? And people then started sharing on their screen their geographic location and the sense of what moves them. Some was a mountain, some was beach, some was a desert. And it was just so amazing just to see very quickly because people think, oh, God, that's going to take ages and we don't have the time. But technology allows us to do a few shortcuts. And so just images of where they come from and the look on their faces. You know, when they're saying, what should we be proposing to corporations and governments on how to include diversity in AI? I said, surely it's got to start with the way we do something. And then look backwards at our process and see how that really went. And, and, and um, our process becomes a methodology of how diversity actually happened, that the, the pitfalls, the, the good things, and this is where we are. And, and that's what we can pass on as valuable information to a corporation rather than one, two, three, A, B, C, and it's all very template-like when no one's actually got really the nodding acquaintance with what that means. So, yeah, sorry. No, no, this is great. Um, One of my pet peeves with all these diversity and inclusion taglines is that you can have different faces, different colors in the same room. But if you don't have that diversity of thinking and worldviews, you're going to end up with the same results as you've put it in a different way. Yeah, because a, a different worldview means that your process is going to be different. And the process is, yes, as you say so rightly, the process might need to change and you might then get different results. Right. And so a lot of this is a need for a really fundamental shifts of mindsets to take place. Um, and very often we see civil society and government pitted against each other almost. Um, what do you see to be the role of government, particularly in more advanced economies and countries uh, like your own Aotearoa, New Zealand, uh, North America, Australia, in helping shift the narratives or even breaking some of these historic inequalities of so long ago that continue to plague us today? Well, obviously the role of government is is everything, but they're also bound by such time-consuming structure that they're not the best when it comes to innovative thinking and being agile. But I have to say, I think COVID, the last two years, plus what digital technology, the disruption of it was doing anyway, it was forcing them to move at a pace. So I feel like, so I can only really speak on behalf of Aotearoa New Zealand, but, you know, we had to, the government had to be put through their paces and um, they had to change laws. They had to change practice very quickly. And on the whole, especially at the beginning, they got a social license. 
so if they could do it for that, I thought, why can't they do it for other things? So they know now, governments know now that they have to be on the ready, um, whether it's environmental as well, it could be an environmental disaster. So government plays, they're the lawmakers, but industries, the private um, sector have, have a role in lobbying. So for something as huge as, as changing mindset that's based upon a certain group of society flourishing over and above everybody else, that's going to take a lot of work. And my master's, we're lucky, we're lucky. In Aotearoa, New Zealand, we have this thing called Tatiriti or Waitangi, which you pronounce very beautifully. And it has not been upheld as meant to have been. Māori have never given that up to continue each generation. But we're getting there. Progress, we're coming up to 200 years in about, I don't know, 16 years. So progress is slow, but that kind of progress, there is progress. Even when it looked like there was no progress, there's been progress. And today's government, where we've got more Māori in government than ever before, and we can see the results of that in policies and new acts and practices because more Māori are being given jobs and helped in that way. But we've still got ways to go. It's not perfect. I was reading somewhere and I can't remember where I thought it was a good idea. So in between the government and people, there needs to be an ad, a group of experts, whether it's digital or, you know, they've got actually quite a lot of Maori cultural advisors, but to be agile, they need that middle people to continually keep them up to date with what is the recent, most recent practice and, and things like this. But in New Zealand, in my master's, when I was doing all my research, the bottom line for us here in Aotearoa is that there's still discord between Pākehā, who we, that's, that's European New Zealanders who have been here for at least three generations and beyond. There's discord between them and Māori. And then we have everybody else who is not part of the Tatiriti or Waitangi contract of 1840. And while we still have that discord, you know, things aren't going to be, you know, restored. So we're starting to have national conversations, one little group at a time. And people think, oh, my God, that's so slow. How are you going to do it? You need it at every level. You need fast, you need slow, you need high level, you need middle level, you need on the ground. You need everybody involved. And if we haven't learned over the last two years that digital technology actually can at least help us connect through time and space to make and en masse, we can actually use technology to our advantage if we are sure that we're all thinking we're all in agreement of what that advantage is. So, yeah, the government needs to keep considering their part and the historical colonial impact. Yeah. I just want to say something because I've, I've had, when I was advising with Tech Futures, I had a lot, a lot of people say, oh, God, you know, why keep talking about things that have happened in the past? Why can't we just forget about it? Right. And I said, you know, I, I want to answer that by saying two things. One, if it had had just happened in the past and it never had happened or it hadn't even happened for the last 10 years even you could say yeah okay fair enough it was in the past but it's not the government still whether it's high government we've got local government 
you know, Maori land is still, you know, the attempts to take it is still there. Um, there's still, you know, not respecting very sacred grounds. The fight goes on. It hasn't stopped. So one, it's not a yesterday thing. It's a, it's a continuing thing. But secondly, about the past, well, we all inherit, because the people don't understand about intergenerational, except for we've all inherited past laws that affect us today. Why do we think the environment is the way it is today? It just didn't happen yesterday. It's been a slow and continuous inheritance of abuse of the environment, probably since the industrial era of the late 1700s. You know, and we have laws here in New Zealand that hold up the rule of law, like the Magna Carta, and that was something like 1254. Um, so we actually live by laws that are in New Aotearoa, New Zealand. They're actually foreign to it, and they're ancient. And so when people say, why do we need to live in the past? Because we are affected by the past and we today are the past of tomorrow so what we are doing today affects tomorrow therefore it's this idea of past present future being past with men you know it's a continuing line or circle however you want to see it it's important that we are conscious and are mindful of what we do Yes, I'm so glad you brought that up because I've had that line um, thrown at me too. You know, colonialism is in the past. Why keep talking about that? But so thank you for pointing that out and why it's so important how the past affects the present and the future. Well, it still exists. Right. It's still, it's still happening. If you just have a look at Facebook, for example, digital colonization is real in the sense that it's gathering all this knowledge about you you have no say in that well you do if you want to use it you consent to it to them but also just in little subtle ways youtube um, facebook when they say oh if you like this then you'll like this all of a sudden before you know it you're being funneled down areas because of what you've liked once they'll then decide what you like next and if you click on that and so knowledge, information, advertising, you know, it's all funneling you down a certain path. You think you're having choice, but right. you're giving into it. It's colonizing you. Yes. Um, colonization in the workplace in terms of automated workforce. Mm -hmm. You know, people are now needing to think, hang on a minute. It's still happening today. And that's not on purpose all the time. I'm sure there's heaps of unconscious and unintended outcomes. But that's why we're needing all views at all times to be part of the process because colonization isn't a thing of the past. Yes, absolutely agree. Um, these are all enormous issues, deep issues, grave issues, and we've only just begun to scratch the surface. But I'm so... <laughs> So grateful for your time and your insights. And I honor the work that you do and the person that you are, Sarah. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you so much, Elena. That time flew by. I just feel, obviously, you can tell I feel passionate about it. Thank you. And, and you continue to. Thank you for giving voice to voices not heard as much and little bit by little bit you're impacting and making our voices part of a mainstream. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. 
I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode and found the conversation useful. This podcast series is made possible by the John H. MacArthur Research Fellowship in cooperation with the Asia-Pacific Foundation of Canada, Canada's leading think tank on Canada-Asia relations. To learn more about the fellowship or the foundation, be sure to visit asiapacific.ca.